Hey there, and welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Timberlake Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. Our mission is to reach, feed, and release people to be the hands and feet of Jesus. You can learn more at our website, TimberlakeUMC.org. We hope you enjoy today's message. All right, friends. Uh, Grateful to you today. And let me say a word about the masks. Uh, We take it off to preach, but we're grateful that you wear it while we're in here. Um, You may know Lynchburg has had the dubious distinction of being one of the hottest hotspots in the nation in terms of COVID infections. And so that's why we're continuing to wear masks. We see the numbers going down. Um, But we want to be sure that we're making right decisions for your safety and everyone's before we decide to take them off again. So we just want you to know the leaders are monitoring those things. I'm I'm as ready as you are to get them off. I know they're a pain, but for now it it seems like the right choice, and uh, we're grateful for your cooperation and your patience with that. How many of you have heard of Harrods of London? Harrods Department Store, anybody? Okay, so think Macy's, kind of like Macy's ginormous department store occupies an entire city block in London, with the exception of one little corner of that city block, which was occupied by a little church. And the legend goes that sometime in the late 19th or early 20th century, the Herod's board of directors decided that they might expand their operation, and their eyes got wide as they spied that church sitting on the corner of that city block and thought maybe they could take that land and develop their business even further by taking over the space where the little church stood. So they sent a letter. They sent a letter to the church. This is what they said. Dear members of the church, The board of directors of Herod's has determined that it is in our best interest to expand next year. Your church currently occupies the site we want to use for our expansion. We are prepared to offer you fair market price for your little church and even throw in additional capital to assist you in relocation. Isn't that nice? So nice. We wish to move forthwith. Remember when we used to say forthwith? We used to move forthwith and seek your answer in the next Two weeks, sincerely, the board of directors of Herod's. Well, the church received the letter and they uh, thought uh, over it and prayed over it and talked about it. And then they, in return, they sent their own letter back to Herod's the following week. And this is what the church wrote in response Dear Herod's, we, the board of directors of the little church, are in receipt of your letter. We have determined that it is in our best interest to expand next year. Your department store occupies the site we want to use for our expansion. We are prepared to offer you fair market price and even throw in additional capital to assist you in relocation. We wish to move forthwith and seek your answer in the next two weeks. Sincerely, George Cadbury. Now, the folks at Harrods thought this was an amusing letter until they read who signed it. Do you know who George Cadbury was? The president of Cadbury Chocolates, which happened to be the largest chocolatier in the world, making George Cadbury one of the richest people in the world, perhaps rich enough to buy Harrods, and guess where George Cadbury went to church. (laughs) What's the point of this story? It's this. Knowing who the message is from makes all the difference. Knowing who the message is from makes all the difference, friends. When a co-worker at your place of employment asks you for something, that's one thing, right? When your boss asks you for something, that's another thing. 
When an acquaintance asks you for help, that's one thing. When your best friend asks you for help, that's something else. When the pastor asks you for something, you know, that's one thing. But when the Lord God Almighty asks you, that's something else. That's something else. Knowing who the message is from makes all the difference. Brothers and sisters, welcome to the third and final installment of our series. It's called For Richer or Poorer. Today is I Love My Church Sunday. We are celebrating God's faithfulness to Timberlake, God's goodness for us and for our people and for our mission. And we are inviting you to remember and be reminded of your love for this church, to rekindle your commitment to the ministry of Jesus Christ through Timberlake United Methodist. And so as part of some inspiration for this series, we've been reading from the scriptures from 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to read them again. I want to invite you to read along in your Bible if you have it or follow along on the screen. We always put it on the screen for you. This is a chapter that is full of wisdom and understanding on how to think about money God's way. All right, so listen, friends, for the word of God, 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting with verse 6, going to 10, and then 17 to 19. Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So, if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. May God add his blessing to the reading and the understanding and the doing of his holy word. Now, friends, we have unpacked this text for the last two Sundays, and so I'm not going to go verse by verse again. If you did not hear the last two Sunday's sermons, let me encourage you, go back and listen, go back and watch on YouTube or on Facebook, or you can listen on your podcast app on your smartphone. Download the podcast app and go search Timberlake United Methodist, and you can listen to the sermon that way. Um, But what we do want to do is lift up, draw up the three big ideas from this text, three easy-to-remember truths from 1 Timothy chapter 6 when it comes to money. And here it is, 1 Timothy on money. One, two, three. Ready? Rich is an attitude. Money is a tool. God expects generosity. Okay? If you take away nothing else, friends, from this teaching, from the Scripture, this is what I want you to get that God is saying to us through the Scripture. I want you to repeat it with me. Okay, ready? Number one, rich is an attitude. Number two, money is a tool. Number three, God expects generosity. Amen. Friends, rich is an attitude. 1 Timothy 6 says, wealth does not come from an abundance of possessions. Wealth comes from a life that reflects the character of God. We call it godliness. Together with contentment, having peace in your heart, knowing that you already have everything you need. And if you have a godly life and a content life, the Bible says you are wealthy. You are wealthy. Secondly, money is a tool. 
The Bible says, tell them to use their money to do good. Do you realize, friends, that's the reason God has put money in your wallet and in your bank account, so that you can do good on behalf of the people God has given you to care for and on behalf of this community and this world. Money's a tool. Number three, God expects generosity. First Timothy says, tell them to be rich in good works. Tell them to be generous to those in need, always ready to share with others. And it's this third idea that I really want to focus on today, the idea that God expects something from us, and one of the things that God expects is generosity. Friends, we know that we worship a generous God. Our God is generous, and God expects his children to be generous. Did you know that? God is generous, and he expects his children to be generous. And if that sounds like a far-out idea to you, just think about it in your own case, in your own life. You live by certain virtues, and I'm guessing that you expect the people around you to live by those same virtues, right? Your kids or grandkids, your best friend, and if your best friend doesn't live up to those virtues, then you say, oh, I'm not sure about this relationship, right? So God is the same way with us. God is the same way with us. God is generous. God expects us to be generous. So when we're talking about generosity and when the preacher gets up and starts talking about money, it's really important that we get clear and understand who this message is coming from, all right? So I want to spend a few minutes talking with you. Who is this message coming from? Who is asking for your generosity today? Now, this is not a rhetorical question, right? And I'm going to give you a hint. It's not me, I know you think it's me. It's not me. It's not Pastor Matt, all right? Let's look again at 1 Timothy chapter 6, 17 and 18. It says this, Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Hello. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. Okay, so we got a message. I want to talk about who the message is to who the messenger is, and who the message is from, okay? So who's the message to, first of all? Those who are rich in this world, right? What does that mean, all right? So the author's saying, well, look, if you have means, if you have assets in this life, then you're rich in this world. And we kind of gave ourselves a, a basic test. If you have a home, if you have a car, if you have income, and if you live in the United States, then this is for you because you are wealthy, right? You are rich on a world scale, in terms of, of the global economy, if you have those things, you are wealthy, wealthy, wealthy. And so this is the message for us. Okay, now who's the messenger? Do you know who the messenger is? It's Timothy, right? Do you know Timothy's role? He was a pastor in the early church, right? So, so the author's saying, look, Timothy, you go and tell them. Tell your people. Now, who is the message from? From the Lord. From the Lord God Almighty, God is saying, Timothy, my son, go and tell them what I expect. Go and tell them that I expect them to be generous. God is asking us to be generous, friends. Knowing who the message is from makes all the difference. Now, this is important when it comes to church because there's poor churches and there's rich churches. And poor church and rich church has almost nothing to do with how much money you have in the bank. It has everything to do with your faith and with your attitude toward God and toward generosity. And so poor churches give because the finance committee has asked them to give. Poor churches give because the finance chairperson comes up front and says, well, friends, we're short again, 
And, you know, we really need you because if you don't give, we're probably not going to be able to be open much longer. Now, I mean, who wants to give to a ship that's going down, right? I mean, that's no good. The poor church, here's another thing. The poor church gives when they like the pastor's sermon. And they withhold their gifts when they don't like the pastor's sermon. You ever been in a church like that? Uh-huh. Okay, I'm starting to get a little uncomfortable here, Pastor Brad. I don't know if I like this or not. The rich church gives because they have heard the call from the Lord to be generous. And maybe the sermon's good or maybe it's not, but guess what? God's call is the same. God is asking us to be generous. The rich church gives because we have heard from the Lord Almighty who says to us, my children, I have been generous with you. Now you be generous with me and with the people that I have put in your life. The rich church gives because God asks us to give. Friends, knowing who the message is from makes all the difference. There's a stewardship guru named Cliff Christopher. Um, I love reading his books and listening to his teachings and stuff. He, uh, Cliff teaches churches like how to do stewardship and financial management and stuff like that. And I told you a story last week, you may remember, of Cliff in the Army in 1991 in the, in the Gulf War when he was in um, Saudi Arabia and learning to put the mission first, right? So he tells another really good story. It's when Cliff was in college. So Cliff went to college in Arkansas, and one of his dorm mates, one of his roommates in the dorm, happened to be a young man named Brent who happened to be the son of the governor. All right? So that's important for the story. Um, so one weekend, Brent, the governor's son, decides he's going to throw a big old party off campus. Now, you know, when you're the child of the governor, you got like money and influence and stuff. So, so Brent's going to throw this big off-campus party. But before he leaves the dorm, he tells his roommates like Cliff, look, you can't tell anyone about this, especially my mom and dad, right? And he makes them promise, and they agree, right? Because when you're in college, this is what you do. You say, oh, I promise. I got you, bro. I got you. So they promise they're not going to tell anyone who inquires after Brent and what he's doing because he knows his parents wouldn't be pleased. So the night of the party, Brent's off doing his thing, and Cliff is there at the dorm with some of the guys, and the prank calls begin, calling, where's Brent? Where's Brent? Carrying on. So they're just hanging up, right? They're just hanging up over and over again. Around midnight, the calls are coming every 10 minutes for Brent. And they're like, oh, this is getting old. This prank call business is getting old. They hang up. So finally, at two o'clock in the morning, Cliff decides, I've had enough. Next time someone calls, I'm going to actually talk to him and I'm going to set him straight. So he answers the phone. Hello? The voice on the other end says, where's Brent? And Cliff says, I'm not going to tell you. And the voice on the other end says, you will tell me right now where he is. And Cliff says, and just who do you think you are? The person on the other end says, very calmly, I am the governor of the state of Arkansas. The National Guard and the state police work for me. Now, tell me, where is Brent? Cliff said, I told him. I told him right away. I told him. <laughs> Knowing who the message is from makes a difference, doesn't it, friends? Knowing who the message is from makes all the difference. When we read the words of this book, and it tells us, tell them to use their money to do good. Tell them they should be rich in good works and generous and ready to share. We need to acknowledge, friends, that this is not merely a human conversation. 
This is a heavenly conversation. The words of this book are from the heart of God for your heart. This is a holy conversation. This is a divine thing that is happening. We believe that the Spirit infuses the words that we say on Sunday morning and gets into our hearts, which is why you come to me and you say, oh, Pastor Brad, how'd you know that was exactly what I needed to hear this week? And I'm not that good, friends. We don't know. We don't know what you need to hear. The Lord knows, you see. The Lord knows what you need to hear. So the Lord gives Pastor Matt and me words to share with you so that it touches your heart and you hear exactly what you need to hear because God is moving. This is not merely a human conversation. The Lord of heaven and earth is speaking to you and he's calling you to a life of generosity. And so we talk a lot about expectations in this church. We talk a lot about living up to our best because God deserves our best. And I want to acknowledge that some of us resist high expectations, right? Some of us balk at them, and maybe not for ourselves, but we think of the newcomer, right? Hopefully you think of the guest, and like, how is the guest going to experience the worship today, right? How is the guest going to hear the sermon or the music? Is this our best, and and are we doing it in a way that's inviting and warm? And sometimes we say, well, we don't want to push people away, right? So we don't want to set the expectations too high. Can I tell you, in my experience, actually the opposite is true, that high expectations are attractive? Because, I think it's because people want their lives to count for something. <laughs> they want to be a part of something that is bigger than themselves. They want the, the dollar in the plate and the time that they spend to actually make an impact on the world. Let me be a part of something. And we know that we're going to stand before the Lord one day and give an account, right, for everything that we've done in this life. And we want to be able to show, Lord, look at what we did. Lord, aren't you proud of us? Everything we did for you, Lord, with what you gave us. And so I think high expectations are actually attractive. And so we remind ourselves of the expectations that we have for one another in this church, that we will worship God every week, whether it be in the room or online, that we will participate in a life group, that we will be discipled alongside brothers and sisters, that we will serve our neighbors in one way or another, wherever it is you are out in the world, in your neighborhood, at work, at home, and that we will give financially. And that these are the best ways that we know how to follow Jesus. And so these are the expectations we have for each other. But just the minute we start thinking, whoa, you know, those expectations are so high, I don't know. Then we go to the Gospels, and we read the expectations that Jesus has for all of us. And we say, oh gosh, (laughs) we ain't seen nothing yet, right? Have you read the words of Jesus in the Gospels, friends? You have heard that it was said, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who's even angry with a brother or a sister will be subject to judgment. This is what Jesus says to us. Jesus said, you've heard it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. And if he slaps you on one cheek, then offer him the other. Jesus said, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemy. And pray for those who persecute you. Nobody has higher expectations for us than Jesus. Jesus has incredibly high expectations. And we fall on our knees and we say, Lord, Jesus, I can't do this. I've tried, Lord, but I can't. And Jesus comes and touches us on the shoulder. And he said, I know. I know. He says, I know. On your own, you can't. Quit trying to do it on your own. And let me help you. You see, with God, all things are possible. 
With God, it's possible to turn the other cheek. With God, it's possible to be generous to those in need. With God, it's possible to love your enemy. With God, it's possible for a rich person to get into heaven. What do you think of that? That's good news, isn't it? I mean, if, you, if there's no other good news today, let it be this, that you can get into heaven by the grace of Jesus Christ, rich people. Hello? Man, isn't that good? With God, all things are possible. All things are possible. Friends, here's, here's what I want you to know, that those people that I know in my life who have taken Jesus at his word, who have really embraced these high expectations rather than resisting them, have said, wow, thank you, Lord, for making my life count for something. They have said to me, Pastor Brad, I'm so grateful that I said yes to Jesus because this life of following him is the only life that's even worth living. Because this thing that Jesus has done for me, it's given me meaning, it's given me purpose, it's given me peace in my heart. And without Jesus, I had none of that, and with Jesus, I have all of that. Here's what we know, friends. God has high expectations. God expects much, but not only from you. God also expects generosity for you. Did you know that? God wants to pour out blessings into your life. And the more you fall deeply in love with Jesus, the more you realize his commands are acts of love for you. And his expectations are occasions for his grace to be poured out into your life. God expects generosity not just from you, but also for you. God is pouring blessing after blessing after blessing into your life. Just take a moment and consider all the ways that God is taking care of you. Consider all the blessings that God is pouring out into your life. Let your heart swell with gratitude today to know that God loves you so much to give you everything you need and a lot of what you want for your enjoyment for the blessing to enjoy this life and to be grateful to know that God, to know that Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, loves you, loves you, loves you. Friends, please, please, don't settle for something small when God wants to do something big in your life. Don't settle for a small life when God wants to give you a big life. As you came in today, we gave you a little slip of paper. We're going to invite you to have some time of prayer right now and, and reflection on your commitment. And I think I heard one of you say as you came in, oh, I already did this. And, and many of you have already done this commitment online. Thank you. What you're going to do right now is not for me. It's for you. Okay? It's for you and for the Lord. So if you did not get that slip of paper when you came in, would you raise your hand and the, one of the hospitality team members is going to bring one to you. Okay, we've got a couple over here and one right here, please. Now, friends at home, let me talk to people at home. You don't have a slip of paper, but what you can do is run to your kitchen, grab a notebook and a pen, and write down what you see on the screen, okay? Very simply, my or our commitment to Jesus for the coming year, 2022. We're going to invite you to reflect on what's your financial commitment. And maybe you measure it in terms of weekly or monthly or your percentage, right? That's good. That's how Jesus measures generosity is by percentage. And then I'm going to invite you to think about your time commitment. What's your time commitment to Jesus and to the church for the coming year? So think about worship. Are you going to be online? Is it going to be in the room? Is it going to be every week? How about your life group? Put down the name of your life group right there. And uh, think about your life group mates and pray for them. And then your service. Where, where do you serve? And you, I know there's a thousand different places of service that we occupy. So wherever it is God is calling you to serve for the coming year, write that down. Okay, so we're going to have a time of prayer. I'm going to invite the musicians to come right now. We're going to invite the children to come in. This is for them also. 
And what I want you to understand is what we've done in the past is we've asked you to bring this forward and turn it in, and that's all good, right? Because it's an offering. It's a way to offer to the Lord. But because of COVID, because we're asking you to do this online to make your commitment, we're not having you bring it forward right now. I want you to keep it. I want you to keep it and dedicate yourself to the Lord. I want you to take that slip of paper and tuck it in your Bible or stick it on your refrigerator and remember.